Hello and welcome to our inaugural podcast from the ARC Insider. I'm Karen Allen and I'll be indulging in some informal Africa-focused conversation with Tara O'Connor, the Managing Director of ARC, the Pan-African Risk Consultancy firm Africa Risk Consulting. we're hoping to do is to offer insightful, inspired and thought-provoking exchanges about the African continent by those who live, work and breathe African affairs. In the coming weeks, we'll be inviting a series of guests to join us for virtual fireside chats to mull over the topics trending on the continent. For now, though, let's face it, there is only one subject dominating the news. The number of people who've died after contracting coronavirus in the UK now stands at more than a thousand. The decision on effecting a daily curfew has elicited mixed reactions among Kenyans and the group of people calling on the government to institute a total lockdown. The National Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown for 21 days. Over the weekend, the Democratic Republic of Congo registered its first death from the virus. Despite the social distancing recommended by government to contain the spread of coronavirus in Nigeria, traders at various markets in Lagos are yet to observe the precaution. 60% of the world's population could become infected with the virus and that as many as 45 million of us might be killed by it. Well, let's face it, COVID-19 is now part of an international lexicon. Africa may have had one president, South Africa's Cyril Ramaphosa, describe it as the gift of time from the global north in terms of having a little more time to prepare. But it is now hitting the continent hard. I'm not going to give you figures because really within hours they'll be out of date. Here in South Africa, where I'm speaking to you from, the military are out in force. Movements only permitted for essential workers or to buy food or medicine. There's no dog walks, no jogging and no alcohol to be sold after 6pm at night. And with so many people sleeping rough, large buildings have been commandeered to try to provide safe and clean accommodation. 13,000 kilometres away is my colleague Tara O'Connor. Tara, uh, it's good to talk to you. We're exercising what can only be described as an extreme form of social distancing. You've been writing about this subject all week. Just first, before we get into that, just describe where you are. Well, I'm in lockdown in London um, and in South London in particular, which is, uh, I learnt last week, the actual epicentre of the pandemic in the UK. Um, We're just at the end of our first week of lockdown and um, the debate really is now how long is it going to last? Um, Just as people are really beginning to get used to social distancing, we have the prospect now of, of probably being in the same state until perhaps May or June. It's quite daunting. Mm. It is daunting and it's and it's interesting just the whole new vernacular that's come out social distancing self isolation yeah it's 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 the world has changed in just a matter of weeks absolutely look Tara security is clearly one of the biggest issues you know maintaining civil order with a large chunk of the continent on lockdown infection rates likely to soar people are frightened what's your sense is this do you think going to be a defining issue on the continent it is a defining 
moment in a continent where we have very young democracies, where uh, what people, what older people remember is dictatorship. Um, and we have shifted from dictatorship to much greater democratic government in most countries on the continent, which this pandemic may necessarily have to challenge in order to have sufficient speed to manage the pandemic. Yeah, and it's interesting because it really does expose the fact that Africa is a continent. It's not a country, as so many people sometimes seem to assume. And there is so much variation here. And we're seeing that in the response. I mean, one of the things that really struck me just over the past few days was this image here in South Africa of our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, dressed in military fatigues and addressing soldiers on the streets of Soweto just hours before the lockdown. Now, you may see that in other parts of Africa, but you do not see that here. And for me, it's a it's an enduring image because on the one hand, it's a bit uncomfortable given the troubled apartheid past here in South Africa and the control measures that went with that. But on the other hand, it's, it's kind of reassuring, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think it, they have been very careful. The messaging from the South African government has been very clear. And look, I lived through the state of emergency in South Africa in the first uh, time around. And so military on the streets is always very, uh, for anybody of my generation, is a very, very scary thing. Um, but what's different about this is that it is actually the military on the streets to protect all lives. And Cyril Ramaphosa has been very clear about what the that the military is there to support the police to serve the population and to save lives this is Cyril Ramaphosa emblematically taking charge of the issue it is reassuring it is actually showing him to be taking charge and being in charge of of this crisis it's interesting in politically within the South African context, you know, commander in chief, that's a title that Julius Malema from the opposition EFF uh, used to commandeer. And, and he's kind of stolen it from him, hasn't he? <laughs> yes. I mean, here we have the real commander in chief, Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, using the democratic constitution, which, uh, which interestingly, he helped to draft and assuming full control. Um, and it kind of almost sort of uh, uh, prods um, the commander-in-chief of the economic freedom fighters in a rather ironic way. Cyril Ramaphosa has clearly risen to the occasion, but his stature locally in the region and I think internationally has risen sharply. Even if the steps he has taken have, uh, you know, have accelerated the inevitable Moody's downgrading and junk status of South African debt and the problems that that will bring further down the line. I was thinking, Tara, is it better to have a strong state in the end? I mean, we talk about South Africa and the institutions we have here, but also places like Rwanda come to mind, which is also clamped down pretty heavily, pretty fast. Yes. And you can see, I mean, there are two uh, dividers here. You know, those are, you could also argue, yes, Rwanda is an autocratic regime, um, but it has acted very swiftly in the interests of the of its people, obviously, but also it has experience of Ebola. It's got a experience of pandemics. And you've seen the countries that have moved fastest, like Sierra Leone was one of the first to declare us a, a state of emergency. But that is also with its background and knowledge of what needs to be done very quickly. What happens, though, 
Uh, I was thinking with countries like Nigeria, where there's so many centers of power, um, does it make it harder to actually have one national message and one national policy? Because the response seems to be patchy depending on which bit of Nigeria you live in. In fact, uh, the coronavirus will actually be seeing all of Nigeria's uh, chickens coming home to roost. And it's worthwhile remembering that Nigeria only left military rule in 2000. And so a real um, threat to public health and civil disobedience or civil disorder could actually result in a challenge to the state, which is already under significant threat. For example, in the northeast, where the country has almost lost control of its borders. And even last week, you had an attack um, by Islamist extremists on a convoy, uh, a military convoy in which 70 people were, were killed. In addition, you have very elderly leadership. Um, you know, Buhari himself is a septuagenarian, as is his right-hand man. And his right-hand man, Abu uh, Kiari, has been reported to have uh, have in have the infection. And so not only have you got an elderly leadership with a very bad reputation for inaction and inertia, um, really, um, you everything is now going to depend on the various governors and their competencies to be able to uh, drive whatever is needed to be done at local level and at state level to actually address this virus. So, Tara, in a nutshell, and of course, this isn't a nutshell question, but what do you tell people who have investments on the continent worried about security? We can understand why they're worried about the economy, but what do you tell them about the security situation? Sit tight and just hope to goodness it doesn't all go south. So the first thing is that people need to be ready to move if they haven't moved their people already. uh, And they need to secure and make sure that the people that are local nationals are safe and have sufficient um, and are sufficiently well looked after uh, that they can get up and running quickly again. The second most important thing, I think, is to keep informed. Information is going to be a bit more difficult as um, as countries shut down, but uh, it's very important to keep on top of what new regulations, what changes in conditions are going to be brought about as governments try to react um, to addressing the virus and addressing uh, social and economic conditions. Conditions locally. You're listening to The Ark Insider with Karen Allen in Johannesburg and Tara O'Connor in London. Today, our podcast is focused on the response across Africa to the coronavirus. Tara, it's related to security. I want to change tack just for a second, but can we touch quickly on the issue of quarantine? We're seeing different approaches and different levels of enforcement. I think Kenya, Rwanda, Mali, Nigeria all have some kind of restrictions on movement and and, and plane traffic as well. Um, I had a really sad story just a few days ago about quarantine in Kenya with one woman who begged to be self-quarantined, but instead found herself in a, a makeshift facility just outside of Nakuru. It sounded like a Russian gulag, and a lot of Kenyans have been very angry at what's happened here. But this poor woman, she's taken her own life. I'm sure there'll be many other tragic stories like that. But you've come across some extraordinary stories of exploitation uh, in the quarantine world, haven't you? 
Yes, I mean in in two places. I mean one in actually in Nairobi where people arriving were forced to stay in a particular hotel. Um, but also much more concerning in Entebbe where people arriving back from abroad being forced to be quarantined in a hotel in Entebbe at $100 a night um, for the full 14 days of uh, Which they pay for. They pay for that. They pay for that. And so at a time actually when uh, President Museveni has also been clamping down on on market, you know, on people racketeering. This seems to be an extraordinary form of racketeering in itself. Tara, we've run out of time. We've got to wrap up, but it has been great to talk to you on the Ark Insider. Delighted that we've launched this thing and I look forward to lots more conversations uh, as the year goes on. Tara's team at Ark produces a daily chronology of events across the region, which you can sign up for at info at africarisksconsulting.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. And do feel free to share it on social media and amongst friends. 